So from the time of uh, Ken's second detention, Owens, you were on the run. And what was life like for you and for your family? And did you get a lot of help from people in Nigeria at that time? Yes, from when he was uh, detained the second time, I, I was also on the run. I went underground, you know, effectively. Um, I stayed the whole of those 18 months, basically, underground in Lagos. I got quite a lot of help from uh, a variety of people and organizations. Um, the whole Nigerian uh, pro-democracy movement, you know, I... I was very much embedded with them. They were also uh, mostly underground, being sought by Abacha. Uh, the journalists uh, in Nigeria helped me a lot. Their offices became my office, <laughs> so to say. Um, I was also very much in contact uh, with uh, those in the diplomatic community. Uh, Sister Magella as at that time, was uh, still in, uh, I think she came back to Lagos. She was in Lagos, and she introduced uh, me and my family uh, to uh, an American, you know, at the University of Lagos, who hid my wife and my small child in, in, in her house. She's late now. And um, so there were quite a lot of people like that who helped. I was also in contact with the international community, you know, uh, by many ways, facts then. Uh, yeah, well, I think that was a mode of, uh, of communication, you know, um, sometimes by phone. Yeah. I was even hiding in the, in the military barracks. <laughs> yeah. They didn't care to look for me, that they thought I could be there. I, I know that within those um, 18 months, I probably stayed in, at the very least, about 25 different places. Yeah. During that time, you met with Brian Anderson, the managing director of Shell. What was that meeting like? Yeah, during that time, I, like I said, I met with a variety of people. I met uh, diplomats, and all I wanted was how to save my brother. And all of them pointed out to the fact that I should go and speak with the head of Shell. So I wrote to my brother, and he said, yes, why not? So he prepared me very well what to say uh, through letters. And I also... Um, so I met with him, and basically over three meetings, his message was stop the protest. That to be difficult, but not impossible, not to save my brother and the others. But first, I have to do some certain things. I should write a press release uh, on a more sub letter head saying that there was no environmental destruction in Ogoni. Second, we should stop the campaign that was going on by Amnesty, Greenpeace, and, and uh, Sister Magella and others in Ireland, you know, uh, against Shell, and that the campaign was hurting the government of Nigeria 
child, if we stop the campaign, and he might be able to help. So I wrote back to Ken. And Ken said, well, if he is released, the human rights groups will have nothing to campaign about. If Sheikh cleans up the environment, the environmentalists, the environmental groups will have nothing to campaign about. But he's ready, you know, to listen and to continue to uh, to have dialogue. But he didn't give me the permission to write any press release. I couldn't allow myself to write a press release. I don't know if I'd gone ahead to write that press release, whether my brother would have been alive. It's one of the unknowns, you know, that worries me every day. And I've asked that question of so many people. Do you think if I'd gone against my brother's wish and against my wish and lied and said that there's no environmental destruction in Ogoniland by Shell, that Mr. Brian Anderson would have asked uh, the Nigerian dictator to release my brother? Some people said no, that he might, he might have not done anything. I would have made sure that the hanging took place as, as, as it did. And then they would brandish the press release. One part of my mind said, maybe I should have. I don't know. During that time, Ken was on trial. There was a military tribunal. Can you tell me about that? The military tribunal came on, um, I, I think about six months after he was uh, arrested. That was the first time that they started to sort of sit. And um, during this time, Ken was uh, in detention, was, was able to write letters. So he wrote a couple of letters to me to contact uh, some lawyers, uh, which I did. Um, and his lawyers were not even allowed to, to enter the court sometime. You know, uh, that was a sham. And... Um, it was a military-appointed tribunal with a military set of orders to do what they were asked to do. Um, so there's really nothing much, you know, to say about that apart from the fact that Ken and others, you know, were dragged before this tribunal. He went, listened to them. Um, his lawyers were not given the free hand to represent him, so he asked them to stop, and they stopped. And then they just went on on their, on their charade. During all this period, I was in Lagos. Ken was uh, in Portacot, in the prison in Portacot. And our communication, you know, mainly through letters to and fro. Uh, somehow, in the earlier time, uh, my wife then, Diana, was able to go and see him in detention uh, with my little son, Biffy, as at that time. And uh, Ken will give him some letters, you know, when 
she goes there. Some of the letters she put in the baby's diapers and bring out, you know, some were put in the plates of food, you know, and uh, the only thing I think gave Ken some sanity while in those detention was the fact that he could communicate and write. He wrote tons and tons letters. You know. Literally, I was getting letters every week. So many letters to so many people. And letters were pouring in too. Uh, to what was his office in Lagos, which I used to go to, even though I was underground. And then, so I would get those letters and uh, give it to a courier, you know, who used to be an activist, you know, who was not declared uh, wanted. So he would take those letters back to Portacourt, leave it somewhere. Then, either my late wife or others who had access to him, to, to give him his food, they would give those letters uh, to her. She would take it to Ken. And Ken would be very busy. Immediately, he comes with the letters, read all of them, re respond to the letters. And some letters he kept. Uh, some they took away to his office in Port Harcourt. I think that I think one of the unfinished business, you know, and I have quite a lot <laughs> talking about the struggle is to actually go in search of those letters that people wrote to him. There were quite many people, you know, but of course, you know, one of the frequent uh, people he wrote to was Sister Magella, and. Uh, I also had that, um, letters came to me, and I passed them on to Sister Magella. How important was that relationship to Ken? Well, you can say that through the letters. I have seen them together, I saw them together a couple of times, you know, and I was shut out from that communication because, you know, they, they, I, I'm a very practical person, you know. I, somebody is ill, I ask what the person's problems, I look for the signs and traits. You know, they, they were talking intellectually, you know, theories and, and all those sort of things, and they would go on and on and on, you know, front and back in a, in a very lively uh, discussion. My, my brother, you know, was happiest, you know, you know, when he saw her and they talked. I, I think it brought quite a lot of things to life for him. You know, uh, somebody that he could relate to uh, intellectually um, and academically. Uh, because you can imagine that um, during the struggle, we we're with everybody. We were dealing with everybody, you know, and she was, you know, to him, you know, fresh air, you know, from a different context. Yeah. 
Lynn's, when did you hear that Ken had been hanged? I was in Lagos. Um, I almost visualized it happening because I was on the phone to a friend of mine who's a journalist. I used to work for AP. Uh, used to be a stringer for AP um, in Port Harcourt. And he was literally telling me what was happening from his source in the prison. So before it was announced, I knew. It was this journalist who actually uh, you know, brought the news out. Before the Nigerian news outlets caught it, it's been announced by AP and CNN and others. And that's how the news was broken. And he had to, uh, I think he left Nigeria, you know, he was a refugee because they were looking for him for releasing that news. So, How did you react when you heard? I, I, how did I react? Well, it was, how could God let this happen? Where was God? That's, I mean, you prepare your mind for that sort of eventuality. Um, during the time of detention, I, I read so many books. And there was one of these books that I read that was, uh, sorry, I can't remember the name of the author right now. But it sort of detailed, you know, the powers of the, what I call the Seven Sisters, you know. And when I read that book and saw what oil companies have been doing, you know, from uh, Iran and the Middle East, how they topple governments, um, how they do all sorts of things, I said, God, I knew my brother was in big trouble. I was like, I, I was drawn into that this struggle by the fact that I wanted to join my brother to prevent people from getting sick and to save lives. Uh, the fact that I saw the poverty where I was practicing and people were so poor that they couldn't buy food to eat well to protect themselves against the commonest illnesses. And I just wanted that to change. I never had the time, you know, to study what we were doing in a global context and to see what sorts of powers we were confronting. Mine was, a land is destroyed, it's dirty, you've got to clean it up. It's a simple thing, you know, that my mother told me. You know, if you go to the toilet or after eating, you have to clean up after yourself. So, Shell has to do that. Simple. I wasn't in this struggle so much from the political aspect. It was mainly from the environmental and the health aspect. That's what I understood. 
Now, the economic aspect of it and the political aspect of it, I got to know later when I read books and got to read so much about how much profit that companies like Shell was making. I got to read more about how much money the people in government were making through corrupt practices related to oil extraction. And I said, oh God, this is not just about the cleanup. Yeah, uh, uh, quite a lot of tools that we stepped on. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I wanted them to do anything they wanted to do, detain us, stop us from, uh, stop the press from, uh, from interviewing us or publishing what we write, whatever, but don't kill in order to stop the debate, which is what they tried to do. How did you get out of Nigeria, Owens? Well, uh, after the killing, it became very obvious that we had to leave. Most of those who have been uh, hiding us, and when I mean us, I mean myself and, and my wife and my kid, you know, were quite frightened you know, for their own life. And we also didn't want to put them into trouble. So, um, I went to meet one of the diplomats that, uh, and this sister Magella had also introduced me to that time, the Canadian Charged Affairs. And uh, I gave him my certificates and some of our small belongings that we had. And, um, he said I could get it in Ghana, so I have to find my way, our way to Ghana. So we literally crossed the Nigerian border on foot and went to Ghana and um, got our things and stayed in Ghana for about three weeks. Um, tried to get a, a Canadian visa. It wasn't the easiest in the world. <laughs> However, um, the owner of Body Shop came to hear that we were in Ghana and uh, we had a connection and she helped us to get a British visa and got us on, on a plane uh, from Ghana. <laughs> and the plane went back to Nigeria <laughs> while flying to Europe, stopped over in Nigeria and uh, we were so frightened, you know. We didn't get out of the plane, which was good, but. Uh, some people came into the plane, some uh, people in uniform looked around, left, and then uh, that's how we left. You started a huge media campaign in London to publicise what had happened to Ken. Um, do you think that helped the plight back in Ogoni? I joined the media campaign that was already on in London and uh, amplified um the volume a little bit when I got there. Did it save 
other lives, there was more spotlight uh, that that came on to the other 19 Ogunis who were still detained, uh, who were detained my brother who were not hanged. Um, a lot of other campaigns were also going on in elsewhere, also in Ireland here, by the Ogunis, Ogunis Solidarity, Ogunis Solidarity Ireland, which was started by Sister Magella. Uh, so I, I think all of those um, um, campaigns that we did and the death of Abacha contributed to their release uh, from detention. It also helped, you know, to secure a refugee status, you know, for Nigerians, uh, for Ogoni people who, who had to flee the the destruction of their lives and the shootings and detentions and the killings in Ogoni who went to the Republic of Benin, you know, to get uh, uh, accepted by many countries around the world, you know, to start a new life. After Abacha died, you were able to go back to Nigeria and you held a symbolic funeral for Ken. Yes, after Abacha died, there was so much need, you know, for my parents, you know, who were still alive then, and others who were psychologically and emotionally distraught with what happened, to have a sense of closure. So, two things. First, we had to look for the body of Ken, and two, to have uh, a symbolic uh, burial for, for him. And also uh, for those left behind, you know, who were um, emotionally and psychologically distraught. So, so we did have uh, all that happen. We started on the struggle to get his his bones, his remains, his remains, and the remains of the other eight who were killed with him, of course. But we did not succeed in time to get the remains, so we had a huge symbolic barrier where hundreds of thousands of people had turned up. Yeah. Thereafter, you did manage to find your Thereafter, body. Tell me how that happened. Oh. I think that... Um, Finding his body was such a relief to me and to all of us in the family. We did not only find his body, we also got the body of all the other eight. And this came about, you know, through the help of lots of friends, physicians for human rights in the U.S., who, uh, Professor Hogland, who's a pathologist, I came all the way to Nigeria. Um, we had quite a lot of other Nigerians who were involved. The president of Nigeria at that time, uh, Olusegun Obasanjo, uh, when I met him, um, he gave an executive order asking the governor of River Status at that time to assist in every way to see that Ken's body is uh, where was buried is identified because nobody knew uh, to assist in the exhumation 
and the DNA identification and the return of the bodies. This took four years to do and it wasn't easy. There were those who did not want the body uh, to be identified and exhumed uh, because, you know, as I heard later, uh, they thought that uh, if his remains are brought back to Ogoni, uh, wherever he's buried will be a site that people will go to to seek inspiration to continue the struggle, whatever. You know, all those sorts of things. I want, we wanted Ken's body back to give him a decent burial. Number one, to get closure for his children, for his wife, for our parents, for ourselves. That was number one. The second one is that Ken loved Ogoni. And to have his remains outside Ogoni, I know will pain him wherever he was. And in his will, he has written where he wanted to be buried. And I we wanted to obey his will and get him buried the way he wanted. And we did that. And um, after doing that, I, 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 I felt I had a sense of some fulfillment, you know, uh, some feeling of a huge gap that had existed, you know, uh, in my life since uh, he was killed. You know, that I took a step back and decided to observe the struggle from far and to study it more, to prepare uh, to come back. And some have interpreted that to be a sort of silence, you know, and yeah, I, yeah, I've been silent for quite a while. So when I got a note from uh, I, I think Professor Ide and Sister Magella about this book, and I saw the name, Silence Will Be Treason. You know, so I started asking myself, have I, have I been silent for too long? Uh, am I really prepared, you know? Am I equipped, you know, to come back uh, to the struggle? To be frank with you, I, I don't know. Even as I'm speaking, you know, I I am in a journey right now where I'm saving lives, which is what I was taught to do. I I, I am in a journey where I think I'm contributing, you know, to uh, to try and meet the MDG goals. I, I don't know whether I. I'm actually running away from the struggle, and I don't know, you know, frankly. But I think time will tell, you know, what, what the next step is, you know. 
Does the struggle continue in Ogoni? The struggle continues. On November 10 this year, and on November 10 every year, more and more people come out to the streets, not only in Ogoni, in Port Harcourt. All sorts of things happen around November 10. All peaceful. I to remember Ken. And it's happening. Some reported, some is not, not reported. But there is a movement that is going on. There's a current that is going on that is going to take a lot of people by surprise. And I'm not involved. I'm just watching. What does it mean to you, Owens, that Ken's letters will be held in this archive at NUI Maynooth at the library there? One, it's, um, I'm very grateful, you know, that one part of his life, you know, uh, is going to be preserved. That is something we are not very good at, uh, in Africa as a whole. So, yeah, when Sister Magella wrote to, wrote to us, uh, telling us what she wanted to do, we were extremely grateful. I think this archive will have, you know, um, some of the most important uh, writings of Ken's moments, you know, in prison. Uh, it will also harbor or have um, quite a lot of the materials that were produced during the struggle, uh, like the flag. There are not many around now, um, like even these pictures. I will tell you that during the crackdown in Ogoni by the military, many people hid the calendars that had Ken's pictures, or his pictures, or his books, they buried them. In the ground, you know, and did not bury them in things that were preserved. So many things have been lost. I'm so grateful uh, to your university, uh, University of Ireland in the north, you know, for, for doing this. I'm very, very grateful to Sister Magella for preserving these letters. Like I said, there were so many letters to be looked for. Um, to gather if they're still there. Um, this is important. It brings back memories. A lot of it. These letters came via me, I read them. You know, some very good memories of that time, uh, some difficult memories of that time, but that they survived means that his message survives and that is important. His message survives also in some of the poems that he wrote. Mm. Um, I wonder, would you read maybe a couple of them for us, Owens? Yeah, I, I will, you know, with uh, all the permission. This, this is my brother's uh, poem to Sister Mandela. Uh, if you want to take a break, 